it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in the world of supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After our discussion, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. James Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock was doing. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. James Stock to learn about his work. As an academic in the field of transportation, logistics, and now what we call supply chain management, Jim was well-connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in this space. Jim did interviews with many of these original thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you on Supply Chain is Boring. Good afternoon. My name is James Stock, the Frank Harvey Endowed Professor of Marketing at the University of South Florida. We're here today to conduct an interview with one of the luminaries in the discipline of warehousing, logistics, and supply chain management. The purposes of this interview are several. First and perhaps foremost is to get to know the personal side of one of the leading logistics and supply chain practitioners, a person who's had significant influence on their profession. We often read the person's books and journal articles, listen to their presentations at academic or professional meetings, and sometimes even have individual discussions with them at various events and venues. However, we rarely get to know the person beyond the professional aspects of their careers. In the field of literature and art, researchers often consider the what, why, how, who, and when of a particular book or painting, short story, poem, and so on. We speculate what might have motivated the writer or artist to write the book or paint the painting, to determine the message or story of the text or art, and the writer's or the artist's perception of the contributions of their work. In the same way, through this and other interviews that will be conducted of leading business scholars and practitioners, as the late Paul Harvey so often expressed, we will attempt to get the rest of the story. These taped interviews will hopefully serve as supporting material for various university courses where the various works of these academicians and practitioners may be discussed. They will be of significant impact in courses where history and theory are being examined, since these individuals contribute extensively to that history and theory. Each interview is based on a set of structured questions using an interview guide. Of course, the interviewee's responses are spontaneous. They may lead into other questions related to those responses. However, the general format for this and other interviews that will be conducted in the future will be similar. It's hoped that audiences who view these interviews will get a broader and richer view of the people and events that have shaped their disciplines. We hope that you will learn from what will be said and discussed during these interviews and be able to more fully appreciate and understand the significant contribution made by these luminaries in the field. Let's begin by introducing our distinguished guests. Kenneth B. Ackerman is presently president of the Ackerman Company, a management advisory service specializing in warehousing and logistics consulting located in Columbus, Ohio. Ken Ackerman's name is synonymous with the discipline of warehousing. He's been called by some the warehousing guru, by others, Mr. Warehousing. Before entering the consulting field, Ken was the CEO of Distribution Centers, Inc., a highly successful public warehousing company that is now part of XL Logistics. 
Ken graduated from Princeton University with a Bachelor of Arts degree and completed the MBA degree at Harvard University. He then enlisted in the U.S. Army, where he served as a buyer at the Walter Reed Medical Facility. At the time, Ken's father ran a small warehousing and trucking company, and Ken joined him in the business once his two-year military commitment was completed. He has spent his entire career in the warehousing and logistics profession. He has written extensively on the subject. He is editor and publisher of Warehousing Forum, a monthly subscription newsletter. He has also written several books used by warehousing and logistics professionals, including Auditing Warehousing Performance, Warehousing Tips, Warehousing Profitably, and Fundamentals of Supply Chain Management, co-authored with Art Van Bodegraven. As a practitioner, Ken has taken time out of his very busy schedule to write numerous articles on the topics of warehousing, logistics, and supply chain management, which appeared in the Harvard Business Review, New York Times, and many logistics and supply chain professional journals and magazines. Ken has been very active in a number of professional organizations. He was a founding member of the Warehousing Education Research Council, or WORK, in 1977, was heavily involved in the National Council of Physical Distribution, NCPDM, which later became the Council of Logistics Management, CLM, and is now called the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, CSCMP. Ken was honored by both of these organizations. Work honored Ken with lifetime membership in the organization in 2002. He received the Distinguished Service Award from CSEMP for his career achievements, and he was president of that organization. He also received the Distinguished Service and Leadership Award from the International Warehouse Logistics Association, the IWLA, in 1999. In recognition of his professional achievements and leadership, Ken has been recognized with honorary life membership in the Ohio Warehousemen's Association. He has also been a former director of the American Warehouse Association. In civic activities, Ken has been chapter chairman for the Young President's Organization, the YPO, former officer of Columbus Association for the Performing Arts, and past president of Opera Columbus. He currently serves as chair for Vistage International, a group that provides counseling and interaction with chief executives in many different fields. Ken is very active both domestically and internationally in lecturing, teaching, and consulting. He is fluent in Spanish, which enables him to lecture and consult in that language. His many clients include firms such as General Electric, Nissan Corporation, Maman Cargo of Israel, Transwarrants in Chile, Umtra SRL Italy, and many other international companies. Throughout his career, Ken has been an educator, leader, and developer of talent in the profession. His 50-plus years in the profession have been characterized as one of giving to others. It's our distinct pleasure to get to know the personal side of this man so we can more fully appreciate his significant professional contributions and achievements. So, Ken, welcome. Glad to have you with us today. Nice to be here. So let's start with some basic questions about uh, your life. Um, when and where were you born? Well, back early in the last century in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> well, I'm sure it wasn't the last century. It had to be in the 19th. Well, that is last century now. But uh, was there anything in your childhood that shaped your, you know, your present personality that you have? Well, sure. I grew up in a small town in northwestern Ohio, spent much of my childhood trying to get out of that town, uh, I think my high school years were very much shaped by 
four years at a wonderful military school that I remain very close to, Culver in Indiana, mm-hmm. and uh, and I remain something of an ardent militarist in that I think that military training is, is very good for people. So that perhaps changed my life. Interesting. I have visited that uh, Culver School. Oh, good. Having been at South Bend, Notre Dame for a oh, while. Oh, well, yes. Um, it's just down the road. Yes. All right. In terms of your personality, is there a particular personality trait that uh, perhaps drove you to succeed uh, as well as you have uh, done in your profession? Well, I never really wanted to be in a family business. Uh, I, I went into it reluctantly. I was determined to go beyond just being the SOB, son of boss, uh, and to paddle my own canoe. I was lucky to have a father who was very happy to step aside and let me make all kinds of mistakes. But uh, I, as I developed an independence and a confidence in running a company, uh, it, it was a great start. And starting in, when I look back on it, starting in the family business turned out to be a pretty good thing to do. Interesting. Do you think there are any personality traits that have held you back or impeded you in any way? Oh, I probably as a kid and maybe as a young adult, people thought I talked too much, maybe. Uh, and I think I talked too much and didn't listen enough. <clears throat> but, uh, no, I don't think there were major impediments. Okay. Do you have any, you know, Specific memories that you have never forgotten from your childhood? Well, as I said, I wanted to get out of the small town I grew up in. I wanted to go someplace bigger. Uh, wanted to be building. Uh, wanted to be with a company that was growing, and to be able to to oversee change and growth. And I think I had that ambition uh, while I was pretty young. As you're growing up, how large was that town that you refer to as small? 50,000. 50,000, okay. Mm-hmm. Smaller today than it was then. Okay. <laughs> how would your parents describe you as a child? Probably as a kid that talked too much and uh, thought he was pretty smart. Okay. Smarter than he was. <laughs> okay. Any other comments they would hate if they were here today and I could ask them that question? Anything else they would say about you? No, I'm not sure. Probably amazed that I didn't get into any more trouble than I did. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, think of your growing up in, in this small town. Um, let's talk a little bit about your education okay. in secondary school. Where did you attend um, school both uh, from first grade on through high school? Well, I was in public schools uh, in in Lima, Ohio, up until the eighth grade. I went to Culver in the ninth grade, spent four years there. Actually went to camp at Culver earlier than that so that I had a taste of the school as a camper in the summertime, which made me want to go there in the wintertime. And uh, I learned at the dining room table that I needed to get out of town because the public school system was considered to be among the worst in Ohio at that time. So I was strongly motivated to go away to school most of my friends went away to school. Some of them went to went east to uh, Western Reserve at Hudson, Ohio. Those were the two closest boarding schools to the town I lived in. So uh, it was wonderful to go away. And uh, it, as I look back on it, it was uh, a very fortunate experience that I was able to do that. Okay. And I assume most military academies and schools... Uh, 
You were there full time and went home only on vacation, That's right. holidays. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, play on any sports teams while you were in school? That was one of my great frustrations, Jim. I I didn't realize it until much later that. Uh, I was cursed with no hand-to-eye coordination, could never play any ball game. Uh, just, I mean, I couldn't even play croquet. <laughs> even a slow ball I can't handle. So what I did do is I ran cross-country, and uh, I was in the uh, horse unit called the Black Horse Troop at Culver, and I loved riding and still do. Uh, so that I guess horses and running were the two things that okay. kept me busy. Very good. What was your favorite sport, uh, either as a spectator or a participant? Well, as a participant, I, I loved running. Uh, I still pace walk. I used to jog until my knees started to kick up. And uh, I ran cross-country at Culver, and I ran cross-country in college. As a spectator sport, I think football has always been it. Okay. Well, you're a good area for football here in yes, Columbus, indeed. for sure. Uh, were you involved in any kind of um, school clubs or organizations? Well, I'm hazy about high school years about clubs. There wasn't Culver wasn't a big club school. Uh, I was interested in dramatics and got into to a little bit of that. Uh, when I went to college, I went to a non-fraternity school. So we had eating clubs, and I enjoyed that life tremendously. The whole atmosphere of eating clubs, I thought, was much better than fraternities. Uh, Now, were there any, for example, honor societies or um, yearbook or those kinds of things, government, student government that you were involved in? Well, I I, uh, had a leadership rank uh, at Culver, so I guess I was a platoon leader, something like that, and uh, was in the Cum Laude Society, which is an honor, I guess it is. Uh, trying to think about clubs, I think I've pretty well covered it. Okay, uh, good. There was there a teacher somewhere from first grade through twelfth that, uh, and it could be more than one, that had a significant influence on you. Yes. At Culver, uh, there was an English teacher, and uh, I was part of a uh, an honors class in English that did advanced work and did a lot of writing. And that teacher remains in my memory as a guy who really inspired me uh, and, and gave me a love of reading and writing. And how did he do that? How did he inspire you? I think with mirrors. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I only know that, uh, and I wasn't the only one. He was one of these guys who could just absolutely uh, amaze his students. I think most of his students would have gr- would have given him the grade of the best teacher they ever had. And he was a great discussion leader. Uh, our classes were not lectures; they were discussions, and it was fun to be in those classes. Do you think he might have influenced you in terms of you do lots of lectures and discussions? Absolutely did. Mm-hmm. Now, how would you um, uh, describe yourself as a student, socially and academically? <clears throat> well, I I got along all right academically. The higher I went, the less distinguished I was. By the time I was in graduate school, the chance to be uh, 
in, in the Boston neighborhood with all the girls who had been lacking at both Princeton and Culver uh, interfered with my academic performance to some extent, but I did manage to get the degree. Uh, and, and Princeton, at the time I attended, being a single-sex school, was described by one of my friends as the largest non-sectarian monastery in America. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I had heard that, so that's, that's new information. Yeah. Well, it's co-ed now. Yes, I can't is. say that. Yes. All right. So you mentioned cross-country in college. Uh, and in high school, yes. Uh, were there any other activities in college that you were involved in? Uh, I got involved a little bit in dramatics in college. Uh, I got this great interest in Latin America there. My major was Latin American studies. I managed to wangle a fellowship to go down to Mexico and write about the film industry in Mexico. Uh, undergrads at Princeton, liberal arts undergrads, have to write a senior thesis of at least 40,000 words, and my thesis was about the movies of Mexico. It was a lot of fun to do that. And that's where you learned the Spanish and have kept that up since. Yes, I, I got fairly fluent in school years, once uh, with a student group that placed each youngster with a family, so you lived with a family in a small town. And uh, when I came home from that, I was almost totally fluent, So, and I never quite lost it. Good. Good. Did you earn any honors in, uh, in college? Not that I can recall. <laughs> I stayed in and graduated and got into the grad school of my choice. So that's that a, was <laughs> that's the most important. Now, an interesting one in uh, as you were growing up, and this could be in secondary school or college. Did you have any person that uh, was what you might call a teen idol? Could be a sports figure, uh, could be a government a political figure. Movie star. Might surprise you, but the picture on my desk, teenage kids have a pin-up picture, was a soprano with the Metropolitan Opera. I don't know, I haven't heard of her for many years. She was a very pretty girl, and and that was my pin-up picture. And have you ever met her? Did you ever oh my, her? yes, I had met her. Oh, sure. Okay, <laughs> very good. So was it an autograph photo? Oh, yes, indeed. That's the best kind to have. Uh, did they have any influence on your career, or was that just... No, no, not really. Now, when you were a teenager, uh, so this would have been during your uh, secondary school years and maybe early in your college years, what would people find surprising about you that they might not know about you now? I'm not sure that it's, I really don't know. I'm not sure how I surprise people. Uh, maybe uh, that I have a few more sides to me than some people would expect of a business guy. You know, the, the language skills sometimes is a surprise. I'm never quite sure what surprises people. But uh, just last week, uh, I had fun surprising somebody because I went into a... Uh, store to buy something it was all populated by Ukrainians and I wished them a good evening in Russian at the end and I watched the eyes go up that you know Russian it's <laughs> just that much <laughs> but it was one of the languages I studied as an undergrad ah interesting now in terms of uh, going to Princeton uh, how were you able to go there 
Did you get scholarships? Did your parents pay? Did you work? What kind no, of? No, I, I, my my parents were able to do that. I I wasn't on a scholarship. Uh, I felt lucky to be accepted. That was uh, the the place I wanted to go. I would have been disappointed if I hadn't made it. Uh, the year that I was accepted, I think I was one of six or seven from Culver who went there, which was highly unusual to have that many from one school go there. But uh, I was accepted, and uh, it was a great experience to be there. Yeah, and Princeton consistently rates in the top five colleges, universities okay. in the U.S. Well, I will confess that it didn't with me by senior year, <laughs> primarily because of what I joked about, that being the largest non-sectarian monastery in the world. I felt isolated and was glad to leave. So did you live uh, in dormitories, oh, yeah. off-campus? No, no, Your we whole, lived in dorms. For the entire program? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide to attend college? Or was that expected? It was expected. My my parents, uh, my father never finished college, but my, my parents certainly expected me to be in college. And uh, so it never really was a topic of discussion. I just, it was assumed I would do it. Were you as excited as they were to go, or were they... Yes, I really was, sure. Now, were you the first generation of your family to receive a college degree? No. I said my mother, uh, I think, may have gotten a master's, or, or almost got a master's. My father was a college dropout, but I think spent two or three years in college. So they may have been first, but I wasn't. So you mentioned your emphasis in college was primarily Latin American kinds yes. of studies. Any other concentrations or minors that you took? I studied two other languages, Russian and Italian. And and that was just plain out of curiosity. Uh, there was a war on when I was in college, and people don't realize it today, but in the beginning of the Korean War, it looked like World War III. And... and I think most of us were wondering, first, would we even be able to finish? And second, uh, when we finished, uh, how soon would we go into the military? Because there was a draft then. So my decision to uh, start studying Russian was a strategic decision. I didn't think that the military would have any interest at all in somebody that knew Spanish. There's millions of people in this country know Spanish. Not so many know Russian. That's true. So I, I quickly jumped into it, and in fact, because it was too late to get into a university course, I started out with a tutor, which was a great experience. Uh, a Russian-born lady whose father had been the imperial geographer to the Tsar, and, and she didn't know much English. She she wanted to, to talk French, which I didn't know, so she said, then I teach you Russian in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> which is what she did. Okay, very nice. Um, with that emphasis on languages and Latin American studies, what, uh, apart from the Spanish that you still use, utilize when you yeah. go to South America and other Spanish-speaking areas, uh, are there other things that you learned or acquired in college that you use in your profession? Well, I've used all three of those languages. I, I did a consulting project in Moscow some years ago for an American-owned warehousing company 
Now, my Russian is much too rusty to carry on a decent conversation, but I can understand a lot. So, uh, and of course, the clients were Americans, but uh, they asked me to do a little uh, workshop for the line supervisors and, uh, and with an interpreter. But uh, when they talked among themselves, I could pick up a little. You know, I, I, it's, you, you lose the ability to speak before you lose the ability to understand. And uh, as both a tourist and a worker in Russia, uh, I'm not afraid to wander around anywhere. I can talk my way back, find out where I'm supposed to be, and I can read the signs, I can read the alphabet. Now, we mentioned early in your introduction that uh, you've also done work in Italy. Uh, do you still retain some level of uh, fluency in Italian? It comes out half Spanish and half Italian, but I can make myself understood. Yes. Okay. Now, did um, you know, with your father in the warehousing distribution business, um, that's probably where most of your influence came from to go into that career yourself, or were mm -hmm. there others that may have influenced you? Well, I was fortunate in school years uh, to get summer jobs, first in Chicago with a trucking company, and that, I think I was 19. Nobody would have hired me, but my father was a friend of the head of this company, and he took me in, I think, as an act of friendship. But the one that I got on my own between years in grad school was to work for Ryder back in the days when, when Jim Ryder was still there. And that that was a great experience. Both of them were great experiences. Uh, the first one in Chicago, that fellow was a uh, Harvard B School grad, and I think probably persuaded me that I should try to go to school there. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryder was a vastly different environment and uh, very much of a learning experience to, to be working in Florida for a fast growth company. And what kinds of things do you think you learned at the in the writer experience that uh, you've influenced you a lot and you've kept on? Well, at least at that time, and I have no idea where writer is today. I, I know nobody there now, I don't think. Uh, it was pretty turbulent, I think, because of fast growth. People were coming and going. Uh, and... Uh, as opposed to relative stability in Chicago. Uh, it, it was an unsettled environment. I spent about half of the summer in Miami and half of it in Tampa, so that I saw different parts of the state of Florida, which is, as you know, very different from Ohio. Yes. <laughs> so it was all just part of growing up. Uh, in both jobs, I was primarily doing sales work. And uh, I learned a lot about the truck leasing business, which was the part of the business that I was interested in and thought I might be getting into. At that time, my father's business was more heavily involved in truck leasing than it was in warehousing. Okay. Now, once you graduated from Princeton, um, did you go directly on to Harvard? or yes. Okay. It was after Harvard that the military experience yeah. occurred. At that time, I think it's fair to say that many people who were students wanted to remain students as long as possible. But the minute they were no longer students, they would be in uniform. So I think I it was called a 2S deferment? 
I don't Something remember like what it was called, but all I know is I managed to uh, uh, stay in school right up through getting a master's degree. <clears throat> and so you went in, did you enlist or were you drafted? Uh, I enlisted in the reserves about a, two days before I was going to get drafted. Okay. And how did you get the assignment at uh, Walter Reed? I, I wish I knew. It, it was... Uh, it was a wonderful assignment. I have no idea. I have some idea how it happened because the Army at that time had what they called the Scientific and Professional Personnel Program where they would grab people who had certain advanced degrees and put them in skills, jobs where they could use the skills. Uh, one of my Harvard classmates it, with the rank of private first class or corporal or something, was functioned as treasurer of Walter Reed. He didn't have the title, but he did the work. Interesting. And so while you were at Walter Reed, you were a buyer. Mm -hmm. What kinds of things did you buy? Oh, I bought books, office supplies. I, I was A buyer is sort of the lowest level. Uh, I couldn't sign for the United States. That has, and then you have to be a contracting officer. So I worked for a contracting officer, and I would get all the stuff together and hand it to her, and she'd sign it. I did all the work, but I wasn't allowed to. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to represent the United States, and I was lucky to have a wonderful boss who wanted to be sure that I really learned what I was doing instead of just doing it. And he said, "You got a lot of time on your hands. So why don't you take all these manuals home and read them, and then we're going to discuss them because I want to be sure you know what you're doing." That was it was fun to work for a guy like that. So in those two years, uh, what was your rank when you left? Corporal. They called it specialist third class. Same okay. thing. Yeah. Uh, did you form any long-lasting relationships in the military? Yeah, one, my wife. Ah. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to her a little bit later. In terms of your your family, uh, what was your fondest memory of the military? Oh, I think meeting my wife easily. Save that thought for later. Okay. Supply Chain is Boring as part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain. Interested in sponsoring this show or others to help you get your message out? Send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and certification workshops for you or your team. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring.